This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Elected office uh, is always important, but this is those one of those moments where you need uh, steady, capable leadership in times of crisis. And uh, it is exposing uh, bad politicians left and right. And you know, that that's it's unfortunate, but uh, it just goes to show you elections matter and, uh, you know, pick competent uh, people. It, and that, that's not even a partisan thing. I will tell you that there are Republican governors that are really impressing me. Uh, um, the guy from uh, Ohio, uh, DeWine, um, and Hogan from Maryland, yeah. they've done a good job trying to manage this. And um, and I, I think, uh, you know, for the most part, despite my disagreements on the budget process, mm-hmm. our executive has tried to do the same thing. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez, bringing you another episode of Crossing Division, Coronavirus and Tacoma. This is, if you can believe it, week eight of our life with a pandemic in Tacoma. And I have to tell you, I've been working at home now for eight weeks. I'm pretty tired of it, but we'll keep doing it as long as we have to, uh, to try to keep everyone safe. So right now, according to today's Seattle Times in the state of Washington, we have had 15,905 cases of COVID-19 and 870 deaths. In Pierce County, we've had 1,454 cases and 52 deaths. And interestingly, I thought for the Seattle Times, they show a little chart. And Pierce County and Yakima County have almost identical numbers, um, like within one digits of each other both ways. Although I think it's a much more severe situation in Yakima County because I think they have uh, fewer people than we have in Pierce County. Um, The Seattle Times has indicated that it looks like the state of Washington is doing a pretty good job of not having a giant explosion of deaths. And we are seeing that, um, you know, flattening the curve has been working, Um, which brings everyone to start talking about opening up and getting back to whatever normal is after this pandemic. Today we have with us Pierce County Council member. Derek Young. Derek is my council member and always great for a good policy discussion. Uh, So Derek is going to talk to us a little bit about what's going on in the county with coronavirus and particularly the CARES Act uh, money that the county um, dealt with yesterday when they passed a $158 million spending plan. So, Derek, can you start out by telling us a little bit about what that is and what the county is going to do with it? Yeah. And first of all, thanks again for having me and, and for all the coverage on the um, COVID pandem- pandemic. Um, it's it's good to keep people informed and, and uh, uh, you know, that, that kind of independent, you know, the government's not telling me uh, what I need to know. I think that's, that's really important. Um, in terms of uh, where the CARES Act funding came from, uh, this is a uh, this was a bill passed by the federal government. Uh, let's see, I guess almost a month ago, um, mm-hmm. and uh, jurisdictions, local jurisdictions uh, that are over uh, five hundred thousand uh, people population. Uh, Pierce County is now at about nine hundred thousand. Um, 
were able to receive uh, direct appropriations from the Treasury. Um, mm-hmm. That's not always the case. Uh, in fact, we fought really hard for this. And I'm grateful for our, our two senators who happen to be to, at the negotiating table for this and, and held out for it, quite frankly. Um, the reason for that is otherwise it goes through an extra process where the state gets the money and, uh. and distributes it. So, uh, so other local governments will get an appropriation from the state uh, as well. Um, uh, but that is a different process. So um, this $158 million is based on our population. And so that's essentially how we got it. Um, and so it's countywide, too. And I want to make that clear because some people are confused. Oh, is it just for the unincorporated areas? This yeah. is for our overall county response. And part of that is because counties in general are the lead on these uh, on the emergency response, not only because counties across the country tend to be the provider of public health, mm-hmm. um, but also um, uh, disaster, uh, your emergency uh, response. And uh, we have a a co uh, command for the for the pandemic response. So most of the bills are accruing at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we uh, the the executive and council chair uh, under our code are to convene a disaster recovery um, uh, executive steering committee, and mm-hmm. they did so a wide swath of people. Uh, uh, some names you probably recognize. Yeah, can you tell us who's on that committee? Yeah, I can give you the complete list. Hang on one second here. It's um, uh, David Bean, uh, chair of the Puyallup Tribe of Indians um, um, Council. Uh, David Zeke, former publisher of the uh, Tacoma News Tribune. Deanna Keller, who's one of the port commissioners for the Port of Tacoma. Um, Jane Taylor from the Geneva uh, Foundation. That's a nonprofit that works for um, TRICARE um, uh, type services for the military. Uh, Kathy Littman, who runs the uh, Greater Tacoma Community Foundation, large nonprofit. Um, Kevin Mullen from uh, Windermere. Uh, Lyle Kasim, who is a man of many hats, but uh, formerly uh, the de- uh, chief of staff for uh, former county uh, executive John Ladenberg, and also was the secretary of uh, uh, DSHS. Uh, DSHS, thank you. Mm-hmm. I always get confused with HHS. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark Martinez, who is uh, the uh, the uh, runs the uh, Building Trades uh, Council, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Tucci from Tucci and Sons, uh, Ron Lucas, who's the mayor of Stellicum, kind of representing smaller cities, and Mayor Woodards from the city of Tacoma, mm-hmm. and um, and of course again the executive and council chair uh, Bruce Dammeyer and Doug Richardson, mm-hmm. um, who under code uh, convened that. So they made. Um, they made their recommendations uh, and uh, based it on uh, input from staff. Uh, one kind of early concern of mine is that the, uh, the even though they're working together on the emergency response from this particular conversation, there were no staff present from the public health department, Tacoma right. Pierce County Health Department. It's a lot of people don't realize, but it's actually a separate agency from the, the county. Uh, it's a joint partnership between uh, the city of Tacoma and um, and Pierce County. And uh, uh, so I, I am on I'm vice chair of the, the board of health for the for the health department, and I caught wind of the fact that they weren't involved, despite the fact that staff from pretty much all the other departments were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a concern. That said, um, their recommendation did largely reflect the the needs. Um, uh, about half of the amount to be appropriated, um, uh, aside from a, a small contingency. Um, uh, basically to hold back some funds for later mm-hmm. uh, in the amount of, I'll get you the exact amount. It was uh, uh, 
24 million for the contingency reserve. The rest was split half between the public health response at 67 million and half uh, for the the remaining kind of buckets. Uh, And those buckets include uh, uh, economic stabilization and recovery programs, um, community response and resilience, which is more the social services side, okay. and then essential government services. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I noticed in the the TNT had an article yesterday on it that gave some details, and uh, it made sense that a certain amount was for contact tracing, which is um, you know a way that you can determine um, if someone tests positive, you can uh, count count back and sort of figure out who they've had contact with in the yeah. last fourteen days. Uh, and then a certain amount also for testing. Um, but then the other two, the big big buckets, the economic stabilization and community support, I thought, well, that is the type of area that's going to de- depend a lot on who's on that committee. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how they'll make decisions, you know, since it's a lot of money, but it's it'll go pretty quickly, I think, because there's so much need out there. And that's exactly right. And and really, my my primary concern is, quite frankly, even though they had some line items amounts uh, for what they wanted to spend on those dollars, that's not in the budget. Um, oh. And that's that is my primary concern is that it's just public health response. There's okay. not a set amount and um, uh, uh, for testing or for tracing, which are mm-hmm. the the foundation for how we're going to get back to some semblance of normalcy, because mm-hmm. it's how we essentially smother this virus and not like have large outbreaks. Mm -hmm. So uh, to be clear, I offered an amendment that um, uh, that put details in the budget and made it like a normal budget bucket. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been in local government now for 22 years uh, and worked down at the state as well. I've never in my life seen a process that looked like this. We basically just within the confines of those broad uh, policy uh, uh, buckets. uh, So, you know, public health, economic recovery, mm-hmm. uh, human services. Um, we just basically turn that over to the executive and he can spend it however he sees fit. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, we did require some report backs, yeah. um, but um, there's nothing keeping him from deciding that he's got his own ideas about uh, how that test and trace would work. For Okay. Example. So the committee that's set up, are they just, um, advisory? Do they just meet and talk? They don't have to vote on things and he does he have to run things past them and get an affirmative vote or anything? Uh, my understanding is that their work is done. Um, so oh. they, they made the recommendation to the council and oh. uh, and so that now it's up to the executive on where to spend those dollars. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, so um, will the county council get reports back at your weekly meetings? Yeah, we are. Uh, the, the one thing that we did do is we were uh, two things. One, we, we uh, held back and said or basically said you can't you can only spend up to 60 percent of this mm-hmm. uh, before you have to come back. And that's within the next two months. Uh, and then we also asked for within those category areas, weekly reports. So mm-hmm. the basically one week, the public health will respond on with how they're spending those dollars. The next week we'll get something from. Uh, human services. So not everyone's coming in every week to mm-hmm. report back. Um, so theoretically, we could at that point uh, say, we don't like what you're spending this on. But the problem is if you've already committed those dollars, right? Um, there's not much you can do at that point. It's an after the fact report. Uh, and in fact, even in terms of transparency, I had asked, we had a board of health meeting and the, the executives on it. And he, you know, accurately said that part of the resolution, the very first things were about transparency and accountability. 
And I asked how he was going to be transparent about that decision making. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have ways for the community to give input on what they think or, you know, for the you know folks like myself, your, mm-hmm. your council, um, how, how will we be engaged? And the, the, basically the description is that the re- report that's given to the public will be the same that's given to the council. So oh, basically okay. after the fact, the decision's made. So okay. we, we're going to have no insight into what's going on or, or how this is spent until it's already spent. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, like I said, 158 is a lot, 158 million is a lot of money. Um, and the reason that I'm so concerned is that if we don't get this right, people right. will die. This isn't a dispute right. over the amount of money spent on this road or that road or, mm-hmm. you know, which exact positions in the sheriff's department we want to fund. That's a normal debate, um, you know, that we're used to having. In this case, um, the, the consequences are so dire. If we don't get the test and trace right, um, we will lose lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just no question about that. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any sense from either the committee or from the executive uh, about what their actual priorities will be um, starting immediately? Yeah, I, I'm hoping that he uh, basically sticks to the, the line items that they did give us that I mm-hmm. had proposed. My concern is that his proposal for the public health portion was different than what the public health department, there are experts in this, were asking for. It was significantly less, for example. Um, so, you know, if we don't hire an appropriate amount of contact tracers um, and 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 pay for enough tests, um, that's that's going to have an effect. Uh, I, I think we should be clear about what contact tracing is. Yeah, because, yeah tell me. Um, I, I see some sort of conspiracy-minded folks that are a little worried about it and they worry about uh, privacy issues. Mm. This is actually like old-school shoe leather public health mm-hmm. uh, work. Um, in fact, we're actually ahead in Pierce County of our peers in, like, say, King County on this. It's for an unfortunate reason uh, because it's a common tactic for dealing with uh, sexually transmitted disease right, outbreaks. Right, right. Um, and I can tell you that those conversations are a lot more difficult to have than the ones they're going to have now, because giving someone bad news that they had contact with someone who gave them gonorrhea is right. a very different conversation than one that we were, we fear you may have been exposed to COVID. Most right. of those folks are going to be very cooperative uh, because they want to protect themselves and their families. So mm-hmm. basically what we do is if we get a live test that says this person is um, is positive for, for COVID, uh, they do an interview and say, who have you come into contact with this mm-hmm. week? Uh, where, where, what places have you gone? Um, right now in a you know, t- quasi-quarantine kind of situation, it's probably a lot easier to remember. Yeah. But keep in mind, we're, about, we're talking about what happens when we start going back to work. Mm-hmm. So a lot more people are going to be moving around. So we need to know where they go. Which, what, what's their workplace? What mm-hmm. other businesses did they visit? Did they ride the bus? Did they do this? Um, and then we go back and find all the people that, that they may have encountered and encourage them to get tested. Mm-hmm. And so that's our early re- uh, warning system, especially for a disease like this, where you know, it can be uh, two weeks before you present symptoms, but shedding virus the whole time. Yeah, We need to get that early um, uh, contact with people who've been exposed. And if necessary, one uh, another line item we have here is for... Um, for quarantine and isolation housing. Mm-hmm. So we can say, you know, if you don't have a safe place to be, you know, let's say you have a, a family member in your household or a roommate that you don't want to expose, um, or maybe you're, you're out of housing, you mm-hmm. know, situations are changing rapidly. Uh, we provide a comfortable place for you to isolate yourself 
um, until we find out if you're positive. And if you are positive, we can also provide that isolation hazard. Mm -hmm. So um, we have one site set up. It's not working as uh, it's hoped right now because there's pretty strict standards from FEMA on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we want to set up some of our own that has you know, deals with people that may have a behavioral health disorder or right. don't have an underlying health condition. Both right. of those are prohibited from that housing right now. So it's really underutilized at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have been thinking a lot about, you know, pe- more, the people that are going to be exposed more, first responders and health workers, mm-hmm. um, making sure they have a safe place to go so they don't, um, um, you know, basically infect their families while they're mm-hmm. fighting an outbreak. Mm-hmm. So this is, that's pretty much what we're going to have to be living with for a while. Yeah. So with the contact tracing, um, what, what is obvious to me is that it's the, your second piece is that then let's say I test positive for coronavirus and you say, well, okay, well, and what have you done this week? And it would be, well, let's see, yesterday I went out and I stopped at the Starbucks on Sixth Avenue um, in my car. So then you want to contact them and say, people who work the drive-through, you may want to get tested. Can we do that testing? Um, I will say at the moment we have, we still have some capacity constraints, Mm -hmm. um, but it's getting closer. Um, so right now the main issue, my understanding of it is, and this is an area where I'm, I'm obviously not a public health professional, Mm -hmm. so I don't want to say that's certainly the case, but recently the issue was more the materials, the swabs and the Mm -hmm. vials and reagents, um, the testing capacity itself has expanded pretty considerably. So, um, that's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Because you could potentially, especially as things start opening up, you know, have someone test positive and say, well, you know, I was uh, down on Ruston Way and I went past 30 different people and you're not going to be able to find them probably. But even if you could find them, they might also have had contact with 30 different people. So, you know, it expands so quickly. So uh, what we're likely to see as we reemerge from this and you see it in the governor's guidance for the phases is that while we'll begin to reopen businesses um, with, you know, diminished capacity, essentially, uh, you know, like restaurants can uh, start out with 50% of their original mm-hmm. capacity and so on and so forth. But the one thing that you won't see for probably a while is large gatherings. Mm-hmm. So we know that um, that some of the large spread events uh, were the result of large gatherings. Skagit mm-hmm. County had a tragic example where a uh, even though they were practicing some social distancing, um, you know, six feet apart from each other, a church choir went ahead with a uh, rehearsal. And this is very early. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to be clear that it was still a gray area. They chose to go forward. They weren't breaking any rules. But um, I mean, it was an enormous number of them were infected. And I believe they had a couple of people die as a result. Yeah, I think I Um, saw that too. I think it was like the choir was like, you know, 90 people and they 70 of them tested positive after. So it was a a significant, significant number. This is, I mean, I I can't stress this enough. There, There was some bad messaging that got out there in the beginning because the response is and how to protect yourself. Um, is very much like the way you would deal with flu, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because um, we know the way the two spread, um, you know, wash your hands, you yeah. know, uh, don't touch your face and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that a lot of people in the public uh, heard that as it's flu. Right. Uh, this is not the flu. This is right. way more contagious. Uh, everything we know now is that it's, uh, its reproduction rate is very high. It's not the measles either, but mm-hmm. it's closer in that spectrum than you would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's also extremely dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. there's, 
part of the reason that there's um, some mythology about who um, who actually uh, uh, dies in this is that we don't we still don't know a lot. We are now finding um, really terrible injuries that are done to people, um, younger people, healthy people, um, because of its blood clotting properties. So right. their internal organs and um, you know people are are dying from uh, sudden strokes uh, that are younger, and we're not we didn't catch that early on. So there was a lot of cases probably that we, we missed as a result. So um, I, I, I want to stress to people that, you know, there is no question, this is an extremely dangerous virus. And that's why we're taking these extraordinary steps because it's not, you know, the flu or anything right. even close to that. Well, and so you are sort of implying, or I'll put words in your mouth and say, you're sort of saying if this had been um, marketed, as a, this is going to kill you if you're between 25 and 40 because of the blood thickening. You know, you may think you're fine. You walk out of the hospital, two days later, you die of a stroke. You think that the people might not have been so cavalier about saying, you know, I guess we're just going to have some deaths. And I, 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 that's what I think. I think the fact that early on it was elderly people or people with significant underlying health issues, you know, we have these um, really unfortunate you know, biases, I think, against the elderly and against people with disabilities. And I think there was sort of a theme, there is a theme of like, oh, well, I guess they're just going to have to die. And I'm, yeah, and yeah. I'm not sure that would have been the same if it was like, yeah, you uh, healthy people between 25 and 40, are we okay sacrificing you? Yeah, I, I, I've never been able to figure that out. Um, it, it, I periodically get emails saying, uh, you know, nobody under 50 has died. And I'm like, well, they have know, actually, they're, yeah, they're, they, they have. And um, those are also people, um, right. you know, I, I, uh, um, I, I don't really understand that attitude. But I, I think I think that's very possible. Um, you know, one of the, the uh, unfortunately, I've been reading a lot about pandemics lately yeah. <laughs> to try to educate myself on how we get out of this. One of the things that's kind of amazing about the 1918 flu is that it was the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. It was mostly young, healthy people um, who were dying. And it's because they're, uh, it was basically triggering a reaction where their immune system was, um, was attacking mm -hmm. itself, uh, mm -hmm. the, the body itself. Um, and that can happen with, uh, with COVID, by the way, as well. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, the response from the public was very different. Um, but in some ways, very familiar. If you go back and read stories, especially media story uh, accounts from the time, you'll find that, uh, you know, one, uh, the reaction was very similar. Uh, there were closures of most public places, mm -hmm. uh, bans on gatherings, churches, you know, uh, restaurants, clubs, uh, schools, uh, you name it. Um, one difference is that they, they actually mandated uh, the wearing of masks um, mm -hmm. and they enforced it. Uh, so there were, there were stories about a, a Tacoma council member uh, being arrested because he refused to wear a mask on the trolley oh, system. Okay, um, but it's a you, so you can see that there was a similar pushback to the mm -hmm. restrictions, especially about the same amount of time, and that's completely understandable. Uh, th this is this is you know the the first pro crisis is the pandemic itself. Yeah. The second is the economic damage this is doing, and we we know that. I mean, it's why public health was you know not super excited about imposing these orders because mm -hmm. they know that there's all these second order effects the mm -hmm. economic damage the stress to people who are suffering from behavioral health disorders um you know children is like one of the things that worries me most it's not just the academic side um you know of things that you know they're losing time in school that will you know that will be a problem um in the years going forward 
but it's also that schools are our window into children's lives that, you know, if something's going wrong, we often, that's our first warning. And, Mm -hmm. you know, our child dependency cases are, are actually down and that's not for a good reason. One of the things that we've heard from Child Protective Services is that their report for um, child abuse and neglect, um, you know, so that, we, that turn into dependency cases, those those numbers are down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I, I think it's down for a bad reason, meaning right. that those cases simply aren't being reported. I think that's probably true. I mean, the fact is that a lot of the individuals who are mandatory reporters are teachers, doctors you know, um, people who wouldn't normally be coming into contact with children right now unless they happen to be ill. So, yeah, all of our first uh, reporters are are out of the scene, and that is a significant issue. Um, Let's take a break here, and when we come back, I want to talk about what you see happening in terms of how the county is going to start opening things up again. This is producer Doug of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. PLU probably doesn't need any introduction. They've been part of the Tacoma community since 1890. Maybe your kids went there. Hey, maybe you went there. Go Lutes! But if you're thinking about revamping your career or launching a second career, have you thought about PLU for a master's program? PLU offers a dozen master's degrees and postgraduate certificates. And get this, some of them can be completed in as little as nine months. Get your master's in education and become someone's favorite teacher. Get your MFA and unleash your inner poet. Or focus on the body and how it works with the new master's in kinesiology. Applications for all master's programs are on a rolling basis. For more information, visit plu.com edu slash graduate to learn more. PLU, for the next step in your career. Hi, we're back on the episode with Council Member Derek Young talking about how the county is um, dealing with the coronavirus situation right now. Uh, Before we start up our discussion again, I want to make a pitch for membership in Channel 253. Um, It it, times like this uh, does make you appreciate that you can get local information from various different sources. And Channel 253 is uh, not an official media um, purveyor, not a newspaper, not a radio station, but actually the voices of your neighbors bringing you information and things uh, about life locally here in Tacoma and Pierce County. Uh, it's only $4 a month and a great investment for you. So Derek, tell me this. Uh, we're starting to see now both sort of um, uh, what I would call the calm, piecemeal approach to reopening and also people demanding just open everything for God's sakes. You know, our economy is crashing and it's uh, all is a disaster and we just need to get everyone back into a normal life as soon as possible. Um, so what is the county's approach to um, reopening, restarting? I know the county is well aware, I know the city is well aware, and the state is well aware that we are facing some severe economic devastation. So, I mean, my assumption is, is that everyone, regardless of what political party or philosophy they're following, everyone would like to get us back into a, an operating, vibrant economy again. The question is how to do that safely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let me preface this by saying that I, I can't blame anybody in the public that that is just desperate to get 
things mm-hmm. open because quite frankly, I am, I live alone. Uh, yeah. it, I'm starting to mutter to myself in my apartment here. Um, uh, I figure it's fine until I start answering, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, so I completely understand it. And yes, th- this is economically devastating. So we need to figure that out. Uh, the important thing is that we need, if we don't get this right and pe- customers and workers don't feel safe, there's not much point in operating a business. Right. So we have to do this smartly and in a way that builds confidence. And, you know, that's really that the economies are confidence. Uh, if mm-hmm. you, if people aren't confident, they will tend to, uh, save their money and re- withdraw and not, um, you know, do economic activity. So that's why I do think it's smart, the approach that the governor has taken, um, especially compared to some states that have kind of either never bothered it to do mm-hmm. any closures or just threw the uh, door open. Now, the one pr- tragic part is that we didn't, um, uh, we didn't get the support from the federal government we were hoping for on the testing side. That was we had been hoping that we could spend this time ramping up uh, that so it would be ready, similar to more, um, you know, some of our peer countries like mm-hmm. Germany and such. But um, that's, you know, we're going to have to deal with what we've got. Right. Uh, so the state, unfortunately, has been able to ramp up quite a, uh, a bit of testing on its own and will continue to do so. Um, the governor has laid out a four phase plan, uh, the first being basically where we're at right now. Some relaxation of last month's standards. So we're starting to get to do some outdoor activities. There's some other things that will begin to relax some construction activities with limits uh, and protections that were negotiated between um, the owners and labor. Uh, so there's a number of things that are starting to happen. Phase four is basically open. We're back to more normal. You mm-hmm. can go to you know, uh, bars and restaurants and any numbers and uh, larger gatherings. So the steps in between are important because it's basically a way to begin safely reopening. So, you know, a restaurant could open with 50% capacity at first and then mm-hmm. 75% capacity, uh, meaning that you've got distancing between the tables, um, uh, you know, urging people to only be seated within households so that, mm-hmm. you know, if there is spread that there's, um, you know, it's within a household, not spreading to multiple households, um, things like that. That's, mm-hmm. That's going to be the next steps and, and, and pulling back on other restrictions as well. Uh, to be clear, right now, the plan is to do that. Uh, the, the state has taken control of that. Our own uh, health department um, and uh, our uh, health official, Dr. Chen, has the authority to enact closures. In fact, one thing that people forget is that Yakima County uh, actually started before the state. Um, oh. uh, they, they had seen an early spike and got real concerned because uh, they only have, I think, one hospital for the whole county, which is a very large county. Uh, and we're, we're pretty frightened by the potential to get overwhelmed, and I, I can't blame them. Um, they also have a different situation that they have a lot of, you know, farm and ag workers uh, yeah. that are exposed in different ways than, uh, you know, a, like a Seattle tech economy where most people can work from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, um, uh, the, the current the current phase one is that there's 10 counties out of Washington's 39 counties that are the most uh, rural and remote uh, that are allowed uh, uh, to uh, basically apply, but they've been pre-screened uh, and they can apply to reopen quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so those counties are like, you know, Clallam and um, I want to say uh, uh, Grace Harbor and mm-hmm. Wakayakum and a few in East Ponderay County over in Eastern Washington. Some of those places where they don't have large populations, they're going to be able to open more quickly. Um, as it currently stands, Pierce County is one of the ones that the governor will make that decision. If that changes, then we will have that decision at the local level. 
I think the important thing is that our, we're we're working hand in glove with the state's Department of Health. Uh, we were, we're fortunate that their uh, director is uh, a, a Tacoma Pierce County Health Department alumni, uh, Jonathan Wiseman, mm-hmm. um, and Dr. Lofi is someone that I'm very familiar with, who's the, the chief medical advisor because. Uh, she's worked with us on our opioid task force. So mm-hmm. these are smart people giving good advice to the governor, and I I trust them. Mm-hmm. That all that said, um, we are the the reopening portion. You know, making sure that companies that uh, where they need protective equipment um, and where they need those things, that's something that our emergency management is going to be focused on. And so um, within that bucket that we appropriated for the economic recovery, we'll be looking at. Uh, additional loans to uh, businesses, expanding that program from very small businesses to much more mid-size, you know, up to potentially 250 employees, um, and seeing if we can get them some capital that they they may need um, that they didn't get from the federal government, um, making sure that we can help give them some guidance in terms of how to uh, reopen. So, you know, most business owners, quite frankly, are trying to do the right thing. They just need some help in figuring out how to orient their business. So that will be a major one. Um, and then finally, you know, getting aid to people that are going to need it because uh, as this, as those emergency orders come off, you know, folks are going to have rent owed, uh, right. they're going to have mortgage payments, they're going to have um, food challenges, all of those things. That's where all the social services side comes in. So uh, our human services department is um, is gearing up for that. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I've always had criticism of. Uh, you know, we don't do enough in Pierce County. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a different world where we, we do have some resources now and we are going to do a lot, but that means they need to scale up uh, pretty quickly. So I, I will tell you that um, I've never been more proud to be in government watching the work that both our, you know, our health department and our uh, county employees are doing because it's, it, they are, they're working their rears off. Right. It is really pretty extraordinary to watch. And, and they're going to have to do so uh, to provide some regular services. You know, for example, we've basically had our courts, you know, close to shut down. They have been hearing civil cases. Um, they, they haven't been doing jury trials for obvious reasons. They're going to have to figure out how do we, you know, they were already strained for, uh, you know, having enough resources compared to like King County, for example. So how are they going to scale back up and deal with that backlog? Because, mm-hmm. you know, access to justice is important. Mm-hmm. So things like that, that you may not think of as an immediate need. Those services still have to be provided. How are we going to do elections, for example? Even though we do, we protect the public by doing mail-in um, right. ballots. Someone still has to count those. And if you've ever seen their operation, um, they're they're basically you know a whole bunch of people sitting in a fairly small room, shoulder to shoulder, and they let's face it, they tend to be that demographic that's most at risk here. So um, uh, we we're going to have to shift operations there a bit. Uh, and I'll, I'll be looking forward to talking with the auditor, Julie Anderson, about how she plans to do so. Mm-hmm. As we move forward, what's your biggest concern? I, I think I think my biggest concern is, is, you know, one, that we don't have another big spike and overwhelm the hospitals, um, because that's when things really start falling apart. You, you, you saw in New York and Northern Italy and a couple other places – how once once you get a certain surge, mm-hmm. um, you, you get all these cascading effects that, you know, there's no room in the hospital for emergency cases because people continue to, you know, get in car wrecks or have a heart attack or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's full of uh, infected patients, um, it, that's really difficult to deal with. So uh, you don't want to, uh, you know, expand that. 
And the second is we, we are looking most likely at a at another Great Depression. Um, I, I, I try not to sugarcoat that because I want to set expectations uh, for folks that these are going to be a rough couple of years. The, the original hope was that um, that we would see a V-shaped recovery, meaning um, mm-hmm. that steep decline followed by a, a quick snapback. Unfortunately, our federal government so badly bungled the the response by comparison to, say, Canada or most European countries that right. Um, we are just going to be in a very different uh, place. So right now, the best we can hope for is what you call a U-shaped recovery, where mm-hmm. steep decline, uh, kind of bump along for a little bit and then recover. Uh, the The bad side is more what's called L-shape, and that it mm-hmm. takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically, steep decline, but followed by years and years of losses. Number one thing that is most important right now for the federal government to stop that is the lesson we learned in the Great Recession is that the budget cuts that were, were caused by state and local governments because we ran out of revenue and didn't get revenue replacement from the federal government, um, that prolonged the suffering. It didn't just deprive valuable services that the public needs, but it also laid off uh, you know, an enormous number of employees uh, adding to uh, the unemployment rolls. That can't happen this time. We need revenue replacement and we need it now because everyone's already making decisions to lay off uh, public workers that... Right. Are essential, and quite frankly, counties never recovered in Washington. Mm-hmm. We are still uh, at a few hundred uh, fewer employees than we were uh, in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more than a decade into the recovery, um, I don't have any meat left on the bone to cut into. It's mm-hmm. going to be um, deep, vital services like you know, laying off sheriff deputies, laying off healthcare workers, and uh, or the health workers, and laying off uh, you, know, uh, you know people in the justice system and. It, that can't happen. So, um, you know, the, we have an agreed to bill through our national association um, that the Democrat caucuses in Congress um, are, are willing to put forward. That would keep us from from facing cuts like that. Um, unfortunately, the, the Senate uh, majority has decided to put their foot on it and said that they don't want to bail out states, um, right. which is just it's it's counterproductive. And I, I don't understand their thinking because it's not like they don't all live in states and counties and cities as well. Right. So. Right. What is something, and you did say that you were prouder than ever before to be a, a public official, but what is one thing that you see locally that makes you think, okay, I think we're going to, it's going to be really hard, but, but we're going to do okay. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think our response so far has been good. I mean, you, you know, we, we've continued uh, our, our, our uh, Dr. Chen, our, our public health director, refers to us in an unstable equilibrium. We're mm-hmm. kind of bumping along at, you know, a couple dozen to 35, uh, you know, cases uh, per day. Um, obviously, that's constrained because of testing capacity, but we've seen us level off, and uh, which is very different than a lot of other places around yeah. the country. So we were first to get it. We were the first to act. Um, and as a result, we saved uh, countless lives. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm confident that there are people today that, that are walking around um, and spending time with their families that that we would have lost otherwise. The 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 that same um, uh, response, I think, is what's going to keep us safer than, unfortunately, some other places in the country. Yeah. Um, so you're going to see really terrible things happen to places like Iowa and uh, mm-hmm. Texas and Florida um, and, it, and Georgia because they didn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know. It, Elected office uh, is always important, but this is those one of those moments where you need 
uh, steady, capable leadership in times of crisis. And um, it is exposing uh, bad politicians left and right. And you know that that's it's unfortunate, but uh, it just goes to show you elections matter. And uh, you know, pick competent uh, people. It, and that, that's not even a partisan thing. I will tell you that there are Republican governors that are really impressing me. Uh, um, a guy from uh, Ohio, uh, DeWine, um, and Hogan from Maryland. Yeah. They've done a good job trying to manage this. And um, and I, I think, uh, you know, for the most part, despite my disagreements on the budget process, mm-hmm. our executive has tried to do the same thing. I agree. All right. Well, we're going to close there, Derek. Let me tell you, as one of your constituents, I'm really glad we have you on the county council. It makes a world of difference. Thank um, you. I appreciate that. That's it. Week eight during our coronavirus pandemic. Uh, if you have ideas for further episodes, please get a hold of me. You can find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma, or you can uh, send me an email, truetacoma at gmail.com. That's it for this week. Thank you. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.